0: Pray with me. Father, I have a confession to make as well. So often I desire that you grace me and forgive me with all the love in the universe. But I don't extend that same grace to those around me. Lord, I have a confession to make that there are times when I look at someone who is different from me and I see a person that is less than instead of seeing them through your beautiful eyes. Lord, my prayer this morning is that as we open the word of God that we will be assaulted by your love and your grace that we will be conformed to the image of your son that we will be blessed and anointed by your Holy Spirit. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, our souls to the gospel today. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, it's wonderful uh, to see you all here today. As Ryan mentioned, we're beginning a brand new series entitled Remove the log. And it's based on two passages of Scripture that we'll look at at different points in this four-week series. Matthew chapter 7, the last chapter of the Sermon on the Mount, and Romans chapter 14. So both Paul and Jesus will be speaking into this theme, and we invite you to open your hearts and your minds and your souls to uh, this word that uh, the Lord has brought to us today. Uh, Matthew 7 says it this way, why worry about the splinter in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own eye? Now, that's a very common phrase we hear. A lot of people don't even realize it comes from the Bible. But it does. We are surrounded by critics, not only in uh, the world, but in the church as well. It was interesting at the uh, leadership conference that Brandon mentioned, um, there was a couple of uh, people. One of the interviews that Bill Hybels made was with Tyler Perry. Uh, you know, he's made a lot of movies, and if you've seen any of his movies, um, you recognize that there's always kind of a Christian message in there, right? But he's received a lot of criticism for the way he does it, and you know where all his criticism comes from? It comes from the church. <laughs> it comes from Christ followers. I mean, who else out there in Hollywood is doing the work of taking movies that'll go to? 200 million people, and deliver a message of God's love. So everybody has critics inside the church and outside the church. Well, when you look at our history, you recognize, too, that um, critics keep us from taking some really bold steps sometimes. Let me give you some examples. An internal memo was distributed among Western Union employees in 1876. This is what the internal memo said. Quote, The telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is of no value to us." Okay, that's the head of Western Union, which about two years later was no longer the head of Western Union. Here's another one. Just prior to dropping the first atomic bomb in 1945, Admiral William Lee told the White House, quote, the bomb will never go off. I speak as an authority on explosives. Well, ask the survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki about that. A French military strategist speaking at a university in Paris said this, quote, airplanes are interesting toys, but they have no military value. See, critics often speak boldly But critics are often wrong. Here's another one. 1962, president of Decca Records said of the Beatles, quote, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. (laughs) Tell Ryan that, right? Uh, Guitar music is on the way out. And then one last thing. Let me read this to you and see if you can guess who who said this. Quote, so we went to Atari and said, hey, we've got this amazing thing It's even built with some of your parts. What do you think about funding us? Or, we'll just give it to you, we just want to do it, pay our salaries, we'll come to work for you. Atari said no. So we went to Hewlett Packard, HP, and they said, we don't need you, you don't even, you haven't even graduated from college yet. So who do you think said that? Yeah, Steve Jobs, exactly. The first personal computer was handed to Atari and HP, and they both rejected it because of their critics. Critics often speak with great authority, but they're so often wrong. Unfortunately, the Christian community is not exempt from this, from critically spirited people. Philip Yancey, who's one of my favorite authors, has written a myriad of books. His latest uh, was a book... Uh, How My Faith Survived the Church, and the first chapter in that book is Recovering from Church Abuse, and this is what Yancey says in that opening paragraph. Sometimes in a waiting room or on an airplane, I strike up conversations with strangers, during the course of which they learn that I write books on spiritual themes. Eyebrows arch, barriers spring up. And I often hear yet another horror story about the church. My seatmates must expect me to defend the church because they always act surprised when I respond, oh, it's even worse than that. Let me tell you my story. (laughs) I've spent most of my life in recovery from the church, Yancey writes. And then he goes on and says, one church I attended during formative years when he was a boy in Georgia of the 1960s presented a hermetically sealed view of the world. A sign out front proudly proclaimed our identity with words radiating, please don't come in here, with the words New Testament, blood-bought, born-again, premillennial, dispensational, fundamental. Now, they didn't even know what those words meant, but everybody knew what the message was. Stay away if you don't believe the way we do. Our little group, he writes, of 200 people had a corner on the truth, God's truth, and everyone who disagreed with us was surely teetering on the edge of hell. Now, for those of you who are new to Hope Covenant Church for the first time, I just want to say, welcome. (laughs) We're not one of those churches, although I grew up in one of those churches. I mean, we used to sing, and people laugh at this, but we used to sing, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less Than Schofield Notes and Scripture Press. We had the truth locked up. We knew which version of the Bible to use. We knew which commandments to raise. We knew which sins to condemn. We had it all together. So often when you read the Gospels, you recognize that the mark of spiritual maturity is not about recognizing someone's faults or false doctrine. But church, tragically, in so many ways, has become... A culture of criticism instead of a community of concern. I grew up in a church that had all the right answers and uh, I remember thinking often you know okay we've got all the answers and we know all the truth and we've got that sewed up but why aren't more people coming to this truth to this gospel? Well the truth was this, we presented it in such a way, we delivered it in a such a way that was critical and mean-spirited and you do this, and shame on you, and you shouldn't, and you ought, and all of that. We didn't deliver it in the way that for the first 300 years of the church, the only way the gospel was delivered was through the vehicle of love. The greatest commandment, See, God didn't say all the commandments are really kind of equal. You know, uh, thou shalt not this. Thou sh-. You know, all those commandments are good because they tell us how to stay out of trouble and how to keep on the right path. That's why commandments are good and laws are good and rules are good. And all that kind. But Jesus made it very clear. There is one law, there is one commandment that supersedes all of us, that is over all others, more important than all others, that all others compared to it are nothing. And that is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else is subservient to that. Everything else is below that. All of your shoulds and your oughts and your doctrines and everything else, all of those things are subservient to the law of love. And that's what my little church, Crest Community Church, back in the 1960s was all about. It was about shaming you and telling you that you should live a different way. Now, why on earth, let me ask you this question, why on earth should we expect someone who's not a Christ follower to come into our church and to conform to us? Why should we expect that? Well, we don't expect that. We expect them to come here just like everyone else. Come into our church. You're going to be respected and loved no matter what you believe. But here's only one thing we ask of you. And really, we only ask one thing of even those of you who are mature Christ followers. And it's this. What does it mean for you to take one step closer to God? Right now, in your life, at this very moment, what does it mean for you, whether you're an agnostic or a fully devoted follower of Christ, what does it mean for you to take one step closer to Jesus? Now, when you present that as the ground rule and not how are you dressed, we had one guy, uh, I think he came to this service, or he's a, a new guy, and he said, yeah, we didn't have our, our clothes are still packed. We just moved here. We don't have very good clothes. I said, you look better than most of us. <laughs> <You know? laughs> come on, welcome. you Yeah, welcome. Come on in. You know, uh, We're a bunch of slobs. We love it. You know? and as, but, but we don't worry about what somebody looks like on the outside, but those old churches and many churches today still say, you conform to me or don't come here. You know, too many churches do that. And Jesus was the one who said, no, this is going to stop. It's not going to happen. Now, here's another thing about criticizing those who are outside the church. The Bible is very clear on this in 1 Corinthians 5. Now, I didn't put this in, uh, it's not in the sermon notes or on the screen because I just added this this morning. But First Corinthians 5.17 says, it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders. He's talking to Christ followers. It is not your responsibility to judge outsiders. Oh, you should wear your pants this way. Oh, you shouldn't have this much metal in your body. Oh, you shouldn't do this or you should It's not our responsibility to tell the world that. Why would we expect them to behave like Christ followers? Too many Christians spend all of their time, all their energy criticizing people inside the church and outside the church and Jesus says, stop, stop, don't do it. It's not right. So let's read the text and then come back and talk, look very specifically at some of the things that Jesus is teaching. So if you have your Bibles or your uh, instruments that have Bibles on them, uh, open them up to Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 5. We're not going to look at the Romans 14 passage until another week, but this is the text that we'll look at today. And this is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He's speaking not only to Christ followers, to a huge number of people that haven't followed Christ. So this is what he says to them. He says, do not judge others. <laughs> you would think a preacher would get up and say, no, you better judge others because you've got to get them straightened out. Now Jesus said, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite, he said. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now Jesus made here three what I think are categorical, sweeping statements about a critical spirit. The first one is this. A critical spirit is condemned. Okay, a critical spirit is condemned. Now, someone pointed out uh, kind of the irony of the title of the message, you know, confronting a uh, critical spirit. Well, confrontation is kind of, you know, being critical. But uh, in spite of that, we're gonna go press forward. So, a critical spirit is condemned. Here's what Jesus said. Do not judge others. Now he was talking in this context he was talking about other believers but we can t- we'll talk about the, the bigger scope as well. Do not judge others. There's uh, another translation to that and it means the same thing and it's this. And this is this getting a little Greek lesson today. Okay, here's what it means. Stop. Don't do it anymore. Stop right in your tracks. Consider what I'm saying Jesus said and don't do this anymore. Just Stop. Now, most of us, when we heard that phrase, stop, we do. We kind of stop like this. Or if you're stepping off a curb and your mother says, stop, you know, you you notice stop. Now, there are exceptions. We have a um, delightful, beautiful three-year-old granddaughter in Portland. Uh, Our kids in Portland are Wesley is eight, uh, Caleb is six, and Elowen is newly three. And for her, uh, unlike most people... When she hears the word stop, what that means for her is like a green light. Oh, you, you mean stop, you know. So keep hitting my brother and keep running away from my mother and keep doing what I, is, is that what you mean by stop? Because that's the way she interprets it. And now, quite honestly, that's not, a, that's not an Elowen problem. That's a mommy and daddy problem. Did I say that out loud? Okay. Okay, erase that from the website. You know, when we when we put this on, yeah, that's a mommy and daddy problem, isn't it? But here's the deal: so many of us, as Christ followers, we hear the word "stop." Don't be judging others. We say, "Well, that must be for you know that guy over there. That must be for that girl." Because it's not for me. I'm going to just continue to have a fault-finding, critical spirit because that's what I do, <laughs> or that's how God made me new. No. That's not how God made you. That's how you behave sometimes, but that's not how God... So that word, just stop. Now, here, here's, here's a little English lesson. Those of you that went to Catholic high school will get this. The rest of you will go, huh? I missed that day. Present active imperative. Okay, it's a direct, emphatic command. Just stop judging others. It's not optional by the way, this is a word from the creator of the universe. This isn't Dwayne's idea. This is a word from the creator of the universe. It's a direct emphatic command from the creator of the universe. No yabbets. no conditional clauses, no exceptions. Stop judging others. Now, when we carry a critical spirit, we start living, and please hear this well, we start living in the arena of sin. When we carry a condemning critical spirit, We start living in the area of sin. Jesus said, stop it. Now here's another, it's also in the present tense, which means the present tense in Greek means this. It means stop it now, but also stop it an hour from now and next Tuesday and next January and for the rest of your life. It's in the present tense. Stop doing this all the time. In other words, stop, stop. He, He said, I'm telling you, to continue to stop stopping that didn't sound right. Continue to stop being having a critical spirit. Today, tomorrow, the next day, don't do it anymore. For the rest of your life. Now you're gonna fail, you're gonna sin. But this is something Jesus said very profoundly, very clearly, stop doing it. It's not doing anybody any good. It's not helping anybody. It's only hurting. It's also in the active mode Another uh, uh, part of the way it's the grammar, it's in the active mode, which means that it's talking about the hearer. In other words, some of you right now are going, especially you ladies, you're going, I sure hope my husband's listening to this. You know, because man alive, to, usually he sleeps through a sermon, but I hope he's listening. Or you're thinking, okay, I know four people that I want to direct to this website because they really need to, no, what, what Jesus would say, no, this is about you. Not your neighbor, <laughs> not your husband. This is about you. Stop it, stop it now, stop it forever, and it's your responsibility, your baby, you have to deal with it. Jesus said, stop judging. Now, that's a lot, and that's big, and that's hard, and that's harsh, but that's the way the language is that Jesus used. Now, what did he mean by stop judging? Because we know, we all know, because in that passage in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, Uh, don't judge people outside the fellowship, but there are times when you should judge each other. So you say, okay, that seems like a contradiction. It's really not at all. Because the word, when he says stop judging, um, he said you can judge the body of Christ. Here's what he's saying. There are times when someone in the body of Christ is directly doing something against the clear teaching of God's word. They're going in a direction that is hurting themselves and hurting others. And whether it's adultery or using drugs or something, there's something, their lifestyle is doing something that we're not being critical. We're seeing that they're walking away that's not right. And literally, when he says this in 1 Corinthians 14, that we're supposed to judge them, what it means is that we come and we put our arm around them and say, you know what, I love you too much to let you do this. If I need to, I'll camp in your driveway. Until you quit that affair, if if not, if 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 you don't do, I'll do whatever it takes. But I'm not going to let you do this. I love you too much. See, see what what the difference is is the heart. Somebody else says you shouldn't do that. You're bad. You're naughty. Like okay, that's a problem with a that's a you problem. With your heart, that's a you problem. But when you come to somebody, you put your arm around and say, I love you too much to let you do this. Let me show you the way back. I'm gonna camp on your doorstep. I love you too much. That's the kind of judging that we are supposed to do in the body of Christ. All other kinds of judging is wrong. All other kinds of critical spirit is wrong. All other kinds of fault finding is wrong because it's all about our heart. Jesus said, stop judging. Don't do it. Now, the the text talks about the speck in your eye, the word, um, or actually, I I want to go back to the idea of stop doing this. That word uh, is um, uh, krino, and it's uh, from the Greek, it's a judgment word, and what it means is it's about the attitude. So judging is not about um, telling Sherry, you're doing something wrong. That's not what it means. It's an attitude of how do I tell her she's doing something wrong? Do I come and put my arm around her and say, listen, I struggle too, I've got sins, I'm broken just like we saw in the video, you know, I, you know I'm not, but, but I, know, I see you walking away from Jesus and I, I, my heart is breaking, and I, I'm just not gonna stand for that, I love you too much. See, the difference in that and telling somebody you want not to do that, shame on you, you should not do that, you should do something else, there's a difference and the difference is in your heart, not the other person's heart, your heart. C.S. Lewis said it this way, there is really no one difficult, excuse me, he said, there is really no one difficult person in the world for whom we are responsible. I still said that wrong. There is really only one difficult person in the world for whom we are responsible, okay? Now you get it. Ruth Graham said, when asked about her husband, Billy, this is before Ruth Graham died, she said, it's my job to love Billy. It's God's job to make him good. It's your job to love people. That's your number one job. You have no other job than that in the kingdom. That's what God wants you to do. That's how you deliver the gospel. That's how you deliver all the things that you have. You deliver it with love and with grace and with mercy. Another reason a critical spirit is hypocritical, Jesus said. Sometimes we cloak it in Christian concern, and we say, well, I'm gonna, uh, I need you to pray about for so-and-so because this is what they're doing. Okay, that's not that's not coming to them with a loving and generous heart. Now, the word speck is the Greek word karpos, and it means a little piece of sawdust. It's kind of an irritant. The word log (laughs) is dukos, and it's a major crossbeam that's used to support a building, okay? And Jesus said, how on earth do you think you're going to manage somebody else's life when you've got this enormous... Log sticking out of your, you don't even see your own sin. See, I, I've said this so many times to my wife and to other people, I just barely have the energy to take care of myself. <laughs> I can't possibly tell you how to live your life. Now, I will always give you good advice, I'll give you a biblical counsel, I'll point you to Jesus, I'll point you to the scriptures, I'll say all of those things, but you know, I have so much trouble just keeping myself on track. <laughs> you know, how on earth am I supposed to come and fix you? God says, this is a you problem, you need to fix this, this critical spirit, it has to disappear. That crossbeam in your eye. Now, to the degree that I see my flaws, that's the degree I will be gracious to others. Let me say that again. To the degree that I see my flaws, that's the degree I will be gracious to others. So a critical spirit is condemned by Jesus. But a critical spirit also is contagious. And the reason it's contagious is because it incites criticism. It incites criticism in others. So um, we were in Portland, and on one day, uh, we went downtown, and uh, we went to this park, and it's downtown Portland, so it's any, like any downtown park. There was quite a few homeless people there, indigents. Mostly they just kept to themselves, and the moms and the kids and the dads were playing on the swings. Everybody was just kind of together, and it was okay. And so uh, we were there, and uh, the kids were swinging, and it was all good. After we were done, we were walking back to the car, and there was this guy out there with his, his kid, and he had a boomerang, and he's throwing the boomerang. It was really cool, you know, and our middle grandson, Caleb, who's six years old, really wanted to do that, and you could see he was anxious. He was standing next to me. He said, Caleb, do you want me to ask him if you can throw that? And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I asked the guy, he said, oh, sure, come on over here. And he showed Caleb how to throw it and everything. So Caleb tossed it like that, and it was, must have been a perfect toss because that thing went, phew, 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 phew. and he had to duck, you know, the thing would have hit him in the head. That's what it is about criticism. If you throw out criticism, it's always going to come back to you. Always. You throw out, uh, you throw out this fault-finding spirit, it's always going to land The Bible's very clear about this. When we, you know what? Uh, Here's something interesting. Uh, The the things that are described as like gossip and backbiting and slander and rumors, those sins put together, those sins are mentioned much more often than sexual sins and murder. I think God was on to something. He knew this would be a problem with people. You know, this idea of, 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 of critical spirit, uh, looking at somebody else and saying, oh, well, I don't know how, you know, you're not really the great doing the great thing and all of that. And there's this kind of sense that, well, I have a, my job is to kind of oversee you and make sure that you're doing the right thing. No. Jesus said, stop it. Stop it today, stop it tomorrow, stop it for the rest. This kind of critical spirit, this kind of fault-finding spirit is not from God. You need to stop it. You need to deliver your message, any message with love. You need to deliver that message in such a way that mercy is just all over that person you're talking to. And we'll see why in just a minute. So this incites criticism for others. So this idea of, 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 um, of rumors, innuendos. If you look in the uh, book of Proverbs over and over again in the book of Proverbs, they have all of these Proverbs. And one of them says this specifically. It says, when you receive a rumor, and you take it into yourself, it's like you swallow it. They use the language of swallow. When you swallow that rumor, guess what? It becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of you. Doesn't, no basis on whether it was true or not. It has nothing to do with whether it was true or not. When you take it in and you... So when you're see a group of people talking and they're talking and they're standing around talking and I was like, you know somebody, you know that you know that Ryan Starr guy at church? Yeah, yeah, nice guy. He's an okay guy. His wife's really cool and his great kids are great. But he's a nice guy. You know? He said, you know, I, I don't think he's a very good guitar player. Somebody else in the group would say, hmm, never really thought about that. You now maybe, you know, I, I don't know anything about guitar. Maybe it's fingering's not right or and they started thinking well, well maybe that's true and people are talking and yeah I agree you know. and guess what you're doing you're swallowing that so here's what happens and this happens to all of us so we come to worship the next Sunday and Ryan gets up here with his as you know his beautiful full heart and leads us with worship and instead of opening your heart and your lives to here's what you're doing you're saying hmm look at his fingering I wonder what's going on with that you know I don't know anything about it, but I think it might be wrong. And and all, see what happens when you swallow a rumor. That's why it's so important that we get this right. That's why it's so important that we check our hearts. And here's another thing: when you're standing, you're standing and talking to somebody, and you say, you know what, so and so, you know, and you're talking about somebody else, and you're kind of whispering it, and that somebody else comes into the room, and you go like, you go, shh, shh they're here. Okay, if you've ever done that or been part of that. That's wrong. <laughs> you already know it's wrong, right? It's wrong. Okay. Doesn't matter. Oh, we were, thinking, we were thinking about praying about them. No, you weren't. You were gossiping about them. Okay. It's wrong. Jesus said, stop it. It's contagious and it incites criticism from others. It will come back like a boomerang and hit you on the, haze, on the head. Do you want to be a grace giver or a fault finder? I want to be a grace giver. So that it also incites criticism from your creator. Now, here's what it says in Matthew 6, uh, 14 and 15. And why worry about a speck in your own friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me get rid of that speck in your eye uh, when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First go, excuse me, first get rid of the log in your own eye and then you'll see, uh, see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And then uh, I, uh, that was the Matthew passage and then I wanted to read you the Matthew 6, uh, 14 and 15 where it says this. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, again, that's one of those verses where as Christ followers you say, okay, you know, <laughs> okay, I'm just going to kind of ignore that because I don't, really, I don't feel it. You know, I don't really want it to be part of me. Well, here's, here's what God is saying. When you have a critical spirit, you're inviting God to have a critical spirit towards you. When you have a fault-finding spirit towards other people, you're inviting God to have a fault-finding spirit towards you. Because if you're like me, you want every drop of grace and forgiveness from God that you can get. Every time you sin, you're going to want to be able to shoot a popcorn prayer up at the sky. God, forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And you're going to want the blood of Jesus to wash over you. You're going to want your life and your heart to be whiter than snow in an instant, right? And how, Yet how come we don't want to give that same grace to other people? Jesus says it clearly. It says in Colossians 3 as well. To the level that you forgive others, to the level that you give grace to others, that's the level that God's going to give grace to you. We need to really believe that. And start acting on that. Jesus would say in this context, He said, "Yeah, that's why I said stop. It's going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt people around you. That's why I said stop. It's this critical spirit thing you've got going. It's going to kill you, it's going to kill people around you. You need to stop it." So, this critical spirit is also criticized from our Creator. Now, here's here's the inter- interesting part. I was standing in front of um, uh, an entire church congregation back in April of two thousand. It's the church I had sinned against. Uh, Roseville Covenant Church in Roseville, Minnesota. I, had, uh, hit, I hid my gambling addiction for three years, and it ruined the way I did my pastoral work. And I was asked to leave, and I left. And those three years, for 97 to 2000, I went through my counseling and rehabilitation and, and those kinds of things. And I asked the pastor if I could come back. I apologized in 97, of course, to the church. But I needed to come back and ask for something else. And so here's what I asked them. I stood before this large congregation of people, all of them whom I had hurt. Many of them had forgiven me, but not all of them. And I stood there and I said, um, tonight I, I need to ask you once again for uh, your forgiveness. Many of you have offered that. And if some of you can't, I understand, but, um, but I need to ask you for something much more. I need to ask you for mercy. In other words, forgiveness is saying, okay, okay, You know, whatever, it's over. But mercy, mercy is an embrace. Mercy is saying, I still love you. Mercy is the prodigal son's father hugging him and kissing him. Mercy is saying, I know, I'll always be with you. I'll never leave you alone. To the extent that I crave that mercy like air, To the extent that you need that mercy like you need your very breath, we need that mercy from God. And because we do, we need to extend that mercy, that grace to others. Yes, that means even others who have hurt you. Yes, that means even others who have harmed you sometimes deeply. We need to forgive them, but we need to offer them mercy. God has granted me so much mercy how can I not extend that mercy to others? The last thing we find with a critical spirit is that it is literally crippling. It is crippling. The purpose of Scripture is to transform us by God's grace through the gospel. The goal of Paul throughout his, all of his writings was the message of the gospel has to be delivered with love. It can't be delivered anymore. It can't be delivered with shame or a finger pointing or pounding on the pulpit or anything else. It has to be delivered with love. It's the woman that was taken in adultery, lying on the ground in her shame, and all of the Pharisees standing around her holding stones between a half pound and a pound, ready to pummel her to death and feeling self-righteous about it. It's in that scenario that Jesus walks in and he says, he who has no sin cast the first stone. And then he looks at the woman and he said, your sins are forgiven. I'll go walk in new life. Isn't that beautiful? The grace that he gave them, the very thing. That's why he called the Pharisees whitewashed temples, whitewashed sepulchers. He said, on the outside you look all shiny and clean, but in the inside your heart Is broken, and you have this. See, the only people that Jesus criticized were the criticizers. The only people that Jesus found fault with were the fault finders. He said, this will destroy you, and it did. The gospel talks to us about this idea of allowing God's grace to so permeate our lives that we then extend that grace and that love to other people, because if we don't, it'll make us sick. A lack of forgiveness, you you look at any sociological or psychological study, a lack of forgiveness will make you sick, physically sick. There's an interesting study done by a psychologist by the name of Dr. David H. Fink. Uh, he He was a psychologist for the Veterans Administration several years ago. And he wrote a book entitled Release from Nervous Tension. And he did this study. It wasn't just about GIs returning from war, but it was about across the board. It wasn't just uh, military people, but everyone. He was trying to do this study on why so many people are sick. And here is what he discovered. He studied 10,000 case studies from people who had enormous high anxiety. And this is what he found. One common trait among all who suffered from severe high tension is that they were habitual fault finders. Every person that he looked at that suffered from hypertension, they were per- habitual fault finders. His conclusion, a critical spirit is a prelude to being mentally unbalanced. Now, I don't like to hear that, <laughs> neither do you. But this is why it's so important. This is why Jesus said with such power, you need to stop this. He's putting his arm around you and said, listen, this is one thing, it doesn't sound nearly as bad as adultery or doesn't sound nearly as bad as murder or some of the terrible big ones that we talk about. He said, but this kind of thing will infect a church. It'll infect your soul. He said, you need to stop it and you need to receive the grace I want to give to you and in turn, give that grace to someone else. So how do I get rid of log I? Okay, we've determined that it's going to kill us, right? So how do I get rid of log I? So I put this in, uh, just so we could do this quickly, I put this in kind of an acrostic, and uh, you know how to spell log I, L-O-G-E-Y-E. So here's how we deal with log I. Number one, or L, look at your own flaws first. Again, you have so much to do to work on you, you shouldn't have much left over for somebody else. Uh, husbands and wives, are are we hearing this? Okay, good. Look at your own flaws first. If you have any energy when you're completely right, then you're welcome to criticize anybody you want to. Okay. Oh, only God knows the whole story. Only God knows what's going on in that other person's life. Only God knows what pain or brokenness or that they're suffering that seems to be directed towards you. Only God knows. We need to offer them grace. I'll give you an example that just happened uh, last week. So we're in this park in Portland, and we bought these, uh, what were they called, these donuts? Blue Star Donuts. Anybody ever heard of those? Outrageous donuts. Uh, It's the kind of donuts where you walk into the donut shop, downtown Portland, which explains a lot, um, downtown Portland, and you walk in, and it shows this donut, and then has a sign above it, $2.50. I said, well, that's not bad for a dozen donuts. You know, about the same as Bosa, right? Two dollars, Oh, no, no. One donut was $2.50. So, you know, we've got a big family. So, you know, they're five and the two of us, seven donuts cost me a fortune. But the fact is, we took these donuts to this park where the kids were playing We're eating our donuts. So we're sitting there. Uh, Sherry and Tammy took the kids over to play. Uh, Nate, and my son-in-law, and I were still sitting there. And one of these homeless guys comes over. I think, I don't know how this happens, I think there's something written on my forehead that says sucker, because these things happen to me all the time, you know, these people will be walking around, and they'll just make a beeline for me, you know, the guys that stand, you know, in the middle, in the median, when they're there for a stop sign, they'll pass every other car and come to my car, you know, and put the sign against the windshield, you know, you know, I need some help, but anyway, so I'm I'm sitting there, and this guy comes over, and we start up a conversation. And um, I ask him about himself, and he's already higher than a kite. It's 10 o'clock in the morning, and the guy's just just hammered. He's carrying a, a 45, and he's just already hammered. And, and um, of course, he wants money, and, and um, I'm usually sucker enough to do it. And so we're talking away, and then Nathan, my son-in-law, walks away, and so it's just the two of us. And I just sense this opportunity, even though he's not real clear, his thinking. I just sense this opportunity to, so I... I did share, share with him the gospel and told him that Jesus loved him and, um, and some of those kind of things. And there was this something came over his face, and I wasn't sure what it was. And then he quoted verbatim Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God. He quoted it verbatim. As he was quoting it, he had this, he just tears in his eyes. And, and I said to myself, this kid was raised in a church. This kid was probably raised in a Christian home. This kid probably went to Sunday school with... Somebody like Pastor Barb, this kid was told the gospel. Somewhere along the line, he got off the rails. He told me about terrible things that happened to him and he got involved in drugs and alcohol and all of that. But if if I had have had this judgmental, critical spirit like so many of us do about people that look different from us and act different from us, I would have no longer gone near that kid. But here we, in the middle of the park, and then after he's done quoting that I said, Paul, can I pray for you? And he dropped to his knees put his face on the ground, started sobbing, just uncontrollably sobbing. And I said to myself, the Spirit of God at one time resided in this guy, and he can reside in this guy again. He's run away from God, but God doesn't run away from him. And I prayed over him. And you know what? I don't know what happened that day. I really don't. I wish I could tell you a happy ending to that story. I have no idea. Because after I prayed, he, well, I said goodbye, and he, I gave him a hug. It, that was interesting. And he wandered off. <laughs> But I'll tell you what, if I had have seen him as somebody that was less than, I never would have had the opportunity to pray for him. When are we going to stop being critical and judgmental and start leaving space for God to do something that never might have happened to Paul that, that particular day? Only God knows the whole story. Gee, go to prayer first. If you have somebody that you want to go and put your arm around, because they're off the tracks spiritually, they're doing something the Bible clearly says this is going in the wrong direction. If you need to, and by the way, if you have a friend that's doing that, you need to do this. If you need to go and put your arm around them and tell them that you love them and this is not acceptable because God wants, has something better for you, you pray first. And if you have a critical spirit, if you, especially if you have a critical spirit of people outside the church, you pray for them. I talked to somebody after first service and he said he has an employee that, uh, that is always messing up and everything. And he says, I always feel really critical about this guy. I said, well, in one sense, you're a manager. You need to have, you draw stiff lines and, and make sure he's accountable and like that. But I said, have you tried to pray for him? He said, no, I've never done that. I'll do that. Pray for him every day and see what happens because something will happen in your heart that will translate to him. You want God to give you all kinds of mercy. But we want to give our mercy in small doses because they might not be really responsive or receptive or they might not deserve it. Well, you know what? Neither do you. You don't deserve all of the mercy that God gives to you. We have to go to prayer first. We have to eat. We have to expect the best. When have we stopped expecting the best of each other? We need to expect the best. Why? You directly to the person in question. If you find yourself being critical or fault finding of someone else and you're talking to a friend, stop it. And if you're the friend, you say, I won't receive that. I'm not going to swallow that. I don't want that. You need to go and talk to your friend. So many of you have come to my office and you wanted to complain about your spouse. I hear you, okay? You know, sure he likes that all the time. But, you know, you know, you, come to me, you know what happens when you come to complain about your spouse. I say, now let's talk about you. You're the only one in my office, right? The other person's not there. Let's talk about you. What can you do to become a better husband, a better wife, you know, a better parent, a better whatever? What can you do? So you go directly to the person in question. If you're going to put your arm around somebody, make sure you do that and not talk to somebody. And finally, encouragement is the priority of the day. Encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. First Thessalonians 5, 11, So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, I recognize that uh, a message like this sometimes stings. I know it sure stung me. I wrote this two and a half weeks ago, and I've been kind of wrestling with this. I told Sherry about that. I said, man, I, I want to be able to preach this powerfully, but I've got to make sure that my own heart's right that I'm not, I don't have a critical spirit towards anyone, that I, I'm not a fault finder, I'm not gossiping, I'm not doing these things. Because Jesus said very clearly, very directly, without any, without any hesitation, he said, stop. Stop doing it right now in this conversation. Stop doing it in an, an hour from now. Stop doing it tomorrow, the next day, a month from now. Stop doing it. Because you're going to hurt yourself, you're going to hurt others. Instead, this is what God wants us to take home today. Instead, would you please understand how much grace you have received? Every sin you've committed, God has washed with the blood of Jesus. Do you realize how remarkable that grace is for you? That you you don't deserve it, and you've received all that. How much more does God want you then, in turn, to give grace and love and blessing? to those around you. Would you close your eyes with me? Father, as we come to the end of this message, I pray that you would help us to come to the end of ourselves. We get so prideful and we're so full of ourselves that we think we can straighten everybody out when we can't even straighten ourselves out. Father, may we understand the enormous grace that you have lavished upon us. And when we recognize that, we will understand why you said, stop judging others, and we will go to them with a full heart, with love and grace, and only desire for them to know Jesus and to know him more deeply. Father, that's the kind of church we want to be. That's the kind of people we want to be. We want to be the people that carry the good news of Jesus with love and light to our world. And we pray that you would help us to do that in Jesus' name and all of God's people together said, amen, amen. Well, thank you so much for uh, being here today. We want to um, close with a couple of songs, but before we do that, we want to take an offering. For those of you who are new, um, we do not expect you to put any money in the offering plate. Uh, Your presence with us is the gift that we desire, so uh, please don't do that. But those of you who are Christ followers, those of you who call hope your home, please give generously and to the work of Hope Covenant Church.